Join us in the studio now with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard, and we always have something special lined up for you. Well, Our we producer is tr- Joe Carlson, who does it. We always try. Okay. All right. Good point. <laughs> Good point. We'll let the listeners decide, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, today we are going to uh, jump back into the topic of Hesed, yes. which you've been teaching us about here on the program. Yeah, and I'm so I mean, excited it's, about It's an unending study, really, yeah, isn't it? You'll never get It's a journey that you start on. That's right. You will never get to the end of it. All right. Well, we'll get to all that in just a few moments. We're going to yeah. hear some of your music here yeah. in the studio again. Those of you who join us regularly, you know we never play a song from a CD. We ask Michael to do the music in the studio. Mm-hmm. That's one of the distinctives of this program. Uh, but I want to start with just encouraging our listeners, if you aren't already a subscriber to this podcast radio program, please do so. You can do that on iTunes mm-hmm. or any of your favorite podcast apps. I just did it. It's actually pretty cool. What? You, go to, you, yeah, you just finally did it? Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> I've I've heard the programs, right? <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, and it was actually really easy. I went to iTunes, and there's a podcast section, and you you know put Michael Card in there, and boom, there you are. All right. Here's my question for you now: Have you left a review of this program at iTunes? Now that would be a little. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Card, and I like what I do on the program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can take it or leave it. You know? Yeah. That but Wayne our... Shepherd, he's great, but that <laughs> Card guy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but our listeners can leave a review on iTunes, and that really is, in all seriousness, very helpful. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. It, it, it lets other people know that, hey, this is something good I ought to be listening yeah. to and subscribing to. So thank you for helping us get the word out about this in the studio program. And I want to point out that we're getting close to the release of your new book and CD uh-huh. on Hesed. Inexpressible Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness is coming out in uh, The good in folks December. at InterVarsity. Yeah. Thank you very much. But we can pre-order the book at michaelcard.com. And here's another reason why I'm looking forward to today, because Ayanda Kamalo is going to join us. Yes. Uh, this is a young man who really understands oh. worship and ministry and, and worship leading, and yeah. uh, we're going to have a great conversation with him. A brilliant young man. And, and you know, so on this program, we got Africa, we got Israel, we got all kinds of stuff happening. <laughs> Stick with us. We'll yeah. take you around the world. Yeah. How about you sing for us? How about This Is My Father's World, which is on the new CD coming yep. out soon, right? Yep. Yeah, this is uh, a, a lot of people's favorite. This is one of my favorite songs. And I was actually, I was in Ireland with my daughter, Maggie, and we were walking through this 300-year-old garden, and I was just singing this song because it's one of my favorites. And she said, did you write that, Dad? And I waited for a second. And I go, well, no, I didn't write it. <laughs> well, this. thanks for being honest. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was it was a t- big temptation. So I, I went home and I Googled, uh, I went to the hotel and I Googled, you know, the song and found out it was written by Maltby Babcock, Maltby Davenport Babcock, who was uh, not a songwriter. He was a pastor and he was sort of the Billy Graham of his day. He was the most well-known pastor in America. Uh, he died in 1901 and uh, he had written this little poem, This Is My Father's World, and another friend of his who was who wrote music put it to music. Mm. And so... Um, it's just uh, it's got one of the best lines of, of, of in all hymnody in the rustling grass I can hear him pass is one of my favorite lines of all time. So the plan is uh, we're gonna we're gonna put this uh, to um, uh, orchestral music uh, with a good instrumental guitar and 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 I changed a couple of the lyrics I fixed a couple of the lyrics for him <laughs> and uh, and this and this is a song about Hesed. All right, well let's listen to it right now and then we'll talk more about what's coming up today. Here's Michael Card in the studio. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears All nature sings And round me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world I rest me in the thought Of rocks and trees Of skies and seas hands the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, 
declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I can hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is My Father's World. We're going to hear more music from Michael in just a moment, and then we're going to take you to Israel as you teach us more about Hesed. But for those who haven't been with us, kind of a review of Hesed, it's really, it really permeates the whole of Scripture, doesn't it? It does. It's, it's one of those uh, concepts that I think ties the whole Bible together. It helps you to understand uh, the God of the Garden of Eden, who, whose deepest desire is to simply be with Adam and Eve and share life with them. Uh, all the way to the climax of the book of Revelation, where that same God says, at last the dwelling of God is with men and women, and he will live with them and be their God. They'll be his people. This deep desire of God to be with us, which helps us understand the, 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 the law and the temple and the tabernacle and the incarnation and the cross and the Holy Spirit. It's just... It's a Hebrew word filled with meaning. Yeah. You, you describe it as almost undefinable. Well, it, it really is. It's, it's, it is undefinable. And by that, I mean, there's not one word. It's irreducible to one word. It, uh, in English, in six different English translations, this one word is translated 169 different ways. Eugene Peterson translates it 57 different ways, just Eugene does. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, King James translates it 12 different ways. And so it's, it's mercy, it's, it's grace, it's love, it's kindness, it's loving kindness. The word loving kindness was invented in 1535 by Miles Coverdale. To translate to, to this word. Encapsulate it, huh? That's where yeah. that word came from. Loving kindness was invented. It was a made-up word in, in, in an attempt to translate the word hesed. When we switch in a moment to your teaching from Israel on hesed, you're going to give examples in the Old Testament. Yeah. Second uh, Chronicles 6.14. Yeah, that's, that's Solomon dedicating the temple. And, and all the way through, um, when David brings the ark uh, back to Jerusalem, that, of course, David doesn't get to build a the temple. But when he brings the ark back, uh, Asaph, who we all know is one of our favorite psalmists, he writes this beautiful psalm. And one of one of the ideas in that psalm that becomes the motto, the, the in God we trust of Israel, is the Lord is good, his hesed endures forever. The other line is uh, the Lord is slow to anger and he's rich in hesed. So those are the two basic mottos of Israel, and they both have the idea of hesed in them. We're going to hear that teaching recorded on location at a kibbutz in Israel from Michael Card in a moment, but let's introduce it by asking you to sing another song. This is called The Book. Through the paragraphs of prophets in their fiery words and rhymes In the pages of the patriarchs We can read on every line Of the kindness of commandments 
and of all he undertook That before we called he answered us in the pages of the book It is the key, it is the door, more than ink and cloth and page Preserved in blood and tears To speak to each new age Come read the very thoughts of God Hear what wisdom has to say For in three thousand years and more It hasn't aged a day And the pages of the book Are turned with trembling awe As we witness wonders there That only faithful saw We go as deep as we can go Of the meaning of the book So open up your heart and soul To the call and the command Hold a vast and priceless treasure In the palm of just one hand And no true transformation As you take it up and look at the flesh and bone and blood of truth In the pages of the book And the pages of the book Are turned with trembling awe As we witness wonders there That only faithful saw We go as deep as we can go Look as hard as we can look But we only scratch the surface Of the meaning of the book As we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book um, This is from Second uh, Chronicles 6.14 This is Solomon, he says uh, Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps his covenant and Hesed. Some translations will say covenant of Hesed. Covenant and Hesed with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. This remarkable moment lies buried in a book we rarely read. But an unbroken line of Hesed, uh, of the Hesed of the God of Exodus 34, has brought Solomon to this place. The one who clothed the disobedient Adam and Eve is the one who set his people free and led them in loving kindness through the wilderness to the glowing land they then refused to enter. Is the God who showered his life-giving, life-preserving Hesed to the second and third generation of the first generation who despised him, just as he promised Moses on the mountain. He is the one who established the throne of Solomon's father David on Hesed. That's 1 Kings 3.6. David's throne is established on Hesed. Despite the king's adultery and lies and murder, and now here stands David's son, Solomon, or Jedidiah, the name God knows him by. David has been gathered to his fathers, but Bathsheba is still here to see this. She is weary, yet still regal. Solomon has inherited his, his father's poetic imagination. His lengthy prayer and blessing to dedicate the gleaming new temple is entirely poetic, perhaps even lyrical, though there's no word of any music accompanying it. That's one problem we have with Old Testament poetry. We're not sure if, if it's some of it's sung or if it's just uh, recited or chanted. We, we just don't know always. Perhaps he's chanting the prayer closed with majestic majesty, First Chronicles 29 says. Just three chapters later, Solomon will will build three more temples for his pagan wives. One for Baal, one for Shamash, and one for Milcom. That's 1 Kings 11. Don't let that spoil it for you, but that's in the wings. He will soon be overwhelmed by his enemies and will die a sad and spent force after 40 years on the throne, which is really the setting of Song of Solomon. Uh, but for now, in this luminant moment, he is the unquestioned king, David's son, dedicating the temple he was chosen over his father to erect. In 2 Chronicles 5.13, the people sing, For he is good, his hesed endures forever. That's our formula too. 
As a result, a cloud fills the new temple structure that is, that is identified as the glory of the Lord. After this, Solomon steps to the front uh, of the awestruck crowd and begins to rhapsodize in this poetic prayer. His opening statement, which is in 6.1, exalts in the fact that the Lord, who was said to only dwell in darkness, has been provided a golden temple, a place to dwell forever. Then his poem, uh, which fills the entire chapter, begins pouring out blessings on the Lord who spoke to his father David and fulfilled each and every one of his promises. He stands upon an enormous bronze platform, kneels with outstretched arms, picks up the song that Israel sung 500 years before when they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, a song that celebrated the Hesed of the God who saved his people. That's Exodus 15, 11 through 13. Surely there was no God like theirs. Moses picked up the refrain uh, in Deuteronomy 3.23, pleading with God to allow him to enter the land he had so longed to see. The basis of the plea, there's no God like you who keeps his covenant of Hesed. The rest of Solomon's prayer focuses on every eventuality of the provision of the unique covenant of Hesed given by the one who is about to inhabit his golden temple. It will be in effect when a man sins against his neighbor, when the people are defeated because of their sin, when there's a drought also due to their sin or famine or pestilence or blight or an attack by their many enemies. The Hesed that characterizes the covenant will be present forever, even for the foreigner. That's 30, verse 32. Verses 41 and 42 provide the climax to Solomon's great poem of prayer. There's nothing less, this, they are nothing less than the formal invitation to the Lord to take up residence in the midst of the people. Um, Solomon promises that those who are dependent on his hesed, the Hebrew word is hasidim or saints, those who are dependent on his hesed will rejoice in his goodness and finally exhausted Solomon cries out, Lord God, remember your hesed for your servant David. Chapter 7 opens with the fire falling from heaven and the glory of the Lord filling the temple, a dramatic demonstration that the invitation of Solomon has been accepted. The God who made a covenant of hesed with his people, the God whom all heaven cannot contain, takes up residence and comes to rest in Solomon's temple for a time. As Solomon has so well sung, there never has been or ever will be or ever could be a God like the God of Israel. Okay, shift gears. The list is endless. In Egypt, they had encountered Horus, uh, Amun, Isis, Serapis, Osiris, Thoth. The ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead lists 500 gods. Gods half animal, gods half human gods who were chopped up and thrown into the Nile, and gods who collected the pieces. There are few references in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Israelites being tempted to worship these gods. It's hard to find the time for that kind of temptation when you're busy making bricks. Still, the incident of the golden calf reveals that they had been infected by Egyptian idolatry. When finally they take the Promised Land, the Jews encounter an equally dizzying array of pagan deities. There was Baal, who the wicked Jezebel worshipped and who King Ahab built the temple. Elijah dealt definitively with Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Baal was known for demanding children to be sacrificed to him by fire. Then there was the female deity uh, Asheroth, also known as Astarte. She demanded obscene sexual fertility rites. Lewd statues of her have been dug up all over Israel, as well as what are referred to as phallic fertility poles. In the books of Judges and Kings, one of the principal activities of the Israelites was cutting these poles down. Molech was a particularly gruesome demonic god, demanding that the Israelites cause their children to pass through the fire. His idol was a large bronze furnace with a ramp uh, down which hopeless infants were rolled into the fire. Um, unimaginably, Solomon built an altar to Molech near Jerusalem. The Hinnom Valley, which we'll see in Jerusalem, was notorious as a place of Baal worship. One tradition says there was a continuous beating of the drums to drown out the infant screams. 
It was later used as a trash dump uh, for the city uh, where fires continually smolder. In the imaginations of the biblical writers, Hinnom became their image for hell. It was for this that the kingdom was torn away from him and given to his son. The list goes on. Dagon, the Philistine god whose temple Samson destroyed in Judges 16. Shemash, for whom Solomon also built a temple. Milcom, Nergal, Marduk, Kiwan, the star god. And who could ever forget Nehushtan, the idol the Israelites made from the brass serpent the Lord used in saving them from the poisonous snakes in the wilderness. Remember that? Moses lifted up the snake in a pole. They kept the bronze snake. They made an idol out of it. They worshipped it. That's in 2 Kings 18.4. After even a brief overview of the cruelty of these demonic pagan gods, it becomes clear why Ezra the scribe recorded Solomon's declaration of the absolute uniqueness of the God for whom he had built the temple. The Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth who keeps covenant and hesed with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who held back Abraham's hand at the binding of Isaac, the God of Exodus 34. He created the world, the rabbi said, so he could show it his hesed. After the first couple sinned in the garden, he sought them out in the cool of the morning to cover their disobedient nakedness with animal skins. He's both perfectly just and merciful. His children can always expect from him more forgiveness and mercy than they deserve. Given the demands of the demonic gods for infant sacrifice, the story of Abraham and Isaac takes on a new light. You and I see that story as a proof of Abraham's faith and commitment to God, which it certainly is. But is it not as much or more a story about the character of God? Could it not also be a dynamic story of God's powerful demonstration to Abraham that he was not like the other gods. Have you ever noticed that? God tells him that sacrifice Isaac. Abraham doesn't open his mouth. He does it. That's what you do for gods, right? At the very moment that Abraham is tempted to think his God is demanding the sacrifice of his firstborn, the miracle child, like all the other gods, the angel of the Lord stops him. He had most likely presumed that this God was indeed like all the other gods and demanded sacrifice of children. Perhaps that's why when the command comes, Abraham doesn't open his mouth and protest. This is what you do for the gods, he must have thought to himself as he rated himself for the journey to Mount Moriah. But now, out of breath, his eyes are opened to the Lord, the God of Hesed, who, as Ezra says, is not like the other gods. I think the binding of Isaac is God saying, I'm not like them. I think it's a really dramatic way of demonstrating he's not like Baal or Molech or any of those other he will not demand Isaac's blood. Unlike any other god, he himself will provide the sacrifice, the living water, the manna, the shoes that never wear out. Again and again, just when a multitude of characters in the Bible realize their own inadequacy, their own sin, just when they realize they have no right to expect anything, they receive not simply a second chance, but everything from God and a new age of trusting the Lord is born. Linguistic scholars, I'm closing now. Linguistic scholars have begun to believe that there's no cognate in any other ancient language to the word hesed. That is, it's a uniquely Hebrew word. Perhaps the reason for this is not linguistic, but spiritual. Perhaps the reason uh, for the fact that no other language possesses a word that can capture the full meaning of hesed is that in all these other uh, particular cultures, that idea never existed because that kind of God never existed. There's a very good reason for the fact that we possess no ancient hymns to the kindness of Baal or Molech or Astarte or Zeus um, um, or any other pagan gods. In the closing verses of his prophecy, Micah, looking forward to the rise of Israel, says these amazing words. I'll close with this. This is Micah 7, 8. Who is like you, God, forgiving iniquity, passing over rebellion, for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in Hesed. The, the, the uniqueness of the God of Israel and our, you know, the Father of Jesus and our, now our Father is that he's a God of Hesed. That's what sets him apart. Three days journey to the sacred place A boy and a man 
with a sorrowful face tortured yet faithful to God's command to take the life of his son in his own hands God will provide a lamb to be offered up in your place a sacrifice so spotless and clean to take all your sin away Here's wood and fire Where's the sacrifice? The questioning voice And the innocent eyes Is the son of laughter Who you waited for To die like a lamb To please the Lord God will provide a lamb to be offered up in your place. A sacrifice so spotless and clean to take all your sins. of wind and an angel's voice a ram in the thicket caught by his horns and a new age of trusting the Lord is born cause God has provided a lamb he was offered up in your place what Abraham was asked do he's done he's offered his only son what Abraham was asked to do he's done he's offered his only son Coming up, a conversation on worship in the second half here in the studio with Michael Carr. Well, Mike, it's always nice to meet new friends here in the studio. By the way, we're not in our normal studio, are we? No, we're in the historic Moody studio. Mm -hmm. Studio B. This uh, studio goes back to the 1930s when this building was built. George Beverly Shea. I can hear him echoing. John W. Peterson and Bill Pierce. George Beverly Shea, you know that? Yep, yep. Okay, all right. (laughs) But uh, they've graciously allowed us to take charge of this studio here yes. today. So we're we're emanating from high atop Kroll Hall emanating. at the Moody Bible Institute today. Okay. So. Let's emanate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a friend who's joined us, uh, Ayanda Kamalo. Yeah, yeah that's how, it. how did I do? Yeah, you're good. Wayne. Ayanda Kamalo. On point. Over Ayanda, Ayanda, yeah. you got it. <laughs> okay. I met you when you were a undergraduate student at Moody. Yes. Uh, what are you doing now? Uh, so I'm actually uh, transitioning into the theological seminary. Um, I've, I've done one half of my program into culture and urban studies. And at the same time, I'm able to continue doing music ministry, traveling across the world, local mm-hmm. church, and also equipping. Uh, equipping as many people that I come across who are asking questions about, you know, how can I better serve the, the local church? Mm. Um, in terms of worship specifically or yes. overall? Um, more in terms of worship, but also the conversation even about race and mm-hmm. creativity and multicultural diversity and um, better serving people who are trying to understand the diversity aspect of their congregations, mm-hmm. even creatively. Because that's one of the biggest struggles. We have all these different elements, different views of creativity coming together on a mm-hmm. Sunday morning. And a lot of guys come in with just one tunnel perspective mm. and they don't know and they're just sitting there saying I can see half the congregation engaged half the congregation's not engaged how do I better serve them so they feel that you know it's not all about them yes but it's easier for them to join 
there's something they can connect with. They can say, you know what? Yeah, this diversity thing is good, and the creativity serves us all. Mm. Boy, this is fascinating. <laughs> oh. But you, you jumped right into it here. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to learn about you, and then we'll get into this, this important topic here today. But where did you grow up? Born and bred Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Went to an all-boys military type of a school um, for high school. Then played, I was a pro athlete. I played rugby um, for four years. Wow. I don't see any scars on you anywhere. <laughs> no, he left the scars on other people. Oh, okay. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, went to World Cup, Junior World Cup, um, but came to Crossroads where we were going through a Great Depression as a country, 2007, 2008. It was like Germany in the 20s. Nothing on the store shelves, nothing. Mm. But God, in the same way, was refining the church. Mm -hmm. We were caught up in politics as the church, the the church in the country, and siding with one party. And God was like, that's not about my, that's not my agenda. My Mm -hmm. agenda is the kingdom of God. And Politicians will hate you or love you, but it's the, it's my word above everything. Amen. Mm. So God was refining us in that same breath. And I got a couple of offers to go to France and play professional rugby or stay local church and plug in. God had a, a plan down that road. And I, and I just felt God was saying, you know, let, let Europe go. I was going to make mm. lots of money, but spiritually I probably would have really died. Mm-hmm. So stuck around, and through that, God just put me in the furnace. Trial and error, crash, burn in ministry. My church took me on. I was already serving in, in music ministry at that point, leading uh, music, congregational singing from the drums, which is weird. <laughs> but God in that space said, I'm going to put you under some great men, and you're going to learn to love the people. Hmm. And it's not about it's not about numbers. It's about the people and the church. Blower Baptist, where I served, multiracial, multilingual, multicultural, cultural, multi generational, yeah. and socioeconomically diverse. Wow! The the beautiful headaches of all headaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But a beautiful headache because there was such there was there was a a, a tension in the gathering, but a tension that only God could bring peace to. Mm-hmm. Like we, you, you can structure a service in your own specific way and be creative, but with all the diversity and differences in the same room, it was only God who was saying, I'm the only one that can drive this bus. Mm-hmm. You know, you just the conductor, step to the side, and I'm going to lead this. And it was that every Sunday. And, and he draws worshipers to himself, right? Yes. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes. Yeah. So it was all him. We were just, God was just saying, stay in your lane, do what I, I need you to do and do wow. it. And I'll sort out the rest. And and to be able to walk away from that every Sunday and look back, I was just like, it's only by the grace of God that we can actually serve such a diverse pe- uh, group of people. In the same breath, I was able to travel across the U.S., um, across Southern Africa in musical worship, um, and just serving camps, retreats, conferences, what, whatever it was, um, some of the hole-in-the-wall places that I love. Um, then the whole heart of just multicultural kept on pulling on my heartstrings because God put me in that space to serve for seven years as a music pastor, as deacon, all of that. And God has kept on saying, you know, I want to take you to, across the world even more. And I want to put you in places where, one, you're also going to be uncomfortable. Two, you cannot do it. I will. Without me, yeah. I will do it all through you, yeah. but you need to make it about me. Mm-hmm. And you need to be open to serving anyone and everyone. And not just, oh, because you're from a Baptist church, only Baptists. Mm-hmm. But you name it everyone and direct all traffic to me. So that really... It, that was constantly on my mind. So that the the seven years at the church, the first church, was that like an became like an apprenticeship. So you did you learn everything you needed to know, and you were just applying things, or did you keep learning the, I, the more you? I I, I I learned a lot, and I still am. Uh-huh. Like I'm still, I think I still think I'm a, like a baby. Uh-huh. Um, yes, you know, you can never put numbers to ministry. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's the the. We never, we can never say we've arrived. I always thought that, and I still think that now. But God exposed me across different aspects. 
loving the church, speaking three languages, mm. starting to trying to understand people from a pastoral aspect and not just a song leader aspect. Yeah. So it's the shepherding. Well, so what's that? Talk, <laughs> talk about that. What's the difference between a, a sheep and a person you're uh, performing for? The w- one of the biggest things is, uh, from my perspective, it's all about the people. Mm-hmm. But when we shepherd, it's about God first, what he desires for the people. Uh, so sometimes whatever I want doesn't count. Mm-hmm. So the songs I want that I sound so great with, <laughs> God's like, no. Well, aren't they lucky they get to hear me sing <laughs> this song this morning? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and a lot of times it's in the keys that... I'm a, so I'm a baritone second tenor. So I'm generally the average Joe's key. I'm, I'm good. And I, and I appreciate God for that. Yeah. So that it's not all about oh he's got a great voice yeah we want to sing and do it with excellence and with our craft yeah but it's never about the attention about the person who's doing it yeah well that's rich love it so so for me it's all it's it's that it's always been about god first and his agenda for the people and then i'm just a conduit that him make me a channel of your peace but i think is make me a channel of your works Make me a child of your spirit. So when you're ministering that way, do you feel like God gives you a sort of a, a, a view into the window of where people's hearts are? I mean, you are, are you addressing, are you, are you integrating with the pastor's message or are you integrating with uh, the hunger that you sense in the community? I mean, where, how do you gauge that? I mean, what do you do? Um, I usually sit down with the pastor or the speaker and say, hey, what's, where are you going? Because good, um, you, I, I've always seen it this way, and same goes back to the pastor a music leader, congregational singer, whatever title we have now, mm-hmm. I fall underneath his leadership. Mm-hmm. So wherever he wants to go, I need to, God serve, leading serve that, yeah, yeah, to yeah. say, I'm here to serve you in the same way we're serving God together. Yeah, And it's always his direction first, but then also speaking into that conversation what I sense as I interact with people every day, where people's hearts are, what's the general pulse of the people, of the congregation. So I'm able to sit down with the pastor or the speaker and say, hey, a little insight if you don't know, this is what I've been gauging and feeling. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you, would you be comfortable with me going this direction in line with this? Yeah. Or you just want me to go down a specific road because you, this is what you believe God is saying. Right. This is the passage I'm speaking on, so I want a song about this. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll, just pl- I'll play to that. But if he's saying, no, lead where God, you, you believe the Spirit is leading us? Because you know, you're, you're in touch with the congregation, you say, well, there, there, there's hurting in this area, or there's questions, yes. or is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. So it's always, the, it's always yeah, you always, the pulse of the people first, at the same breath, it's kind of like, okay, God, what do you, what, what do you want? It's, it's, the, it's like sermon preparation in a sense. Yeah. It's always, God, what's your pulse? What do you, what do you want to do? At the same time, I'm I'm feeling your pulse of your people, yeah. And um, I'll bring this together. I was this is the image I, I always have. I'm the best man at a wedding. The bride is the church. Christ is the groom. I need to know the groom and where he's going with the whole service. I also need to have an understanding of the bride, where she's at. So when she walks down the aisle and engages with her groom, right? No one remembers the best man. He's well, just on the side. Well, you know that's a Jewish image. Do you know that from Judaism? I have seen that, yeah. It's, it's called the Shoshbin. The Shoshbin is the best man. And John the Baptist says, I'm just the, the I'm waiting for the bride. I'm the, what does he call it? I'm the, oh yeah, I forget. Basically in Judaism, it's called the Shoshbin. So he waits outside the bridal chamber until yeah. he comes and then he lets him in. But in, in, the, in the rabbis, Moses was the best man. He was the shosh bin of God. So it's, it's interesting that on your own you picked up on that image. Yeah. Yeah, you're, so you're ushering in the groom. That's a wonderful image. And, 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 then it, and the beautiful thing is the best, best man, a great best man, no one remembers his speech. Yeah. No one remembers his presence yeah. because the focus is the groom and the bride. And if they engage, job done. 
Oh, that's a great image. You must increase, I must decrease. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bride I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Yeah, yeah. I hear his voice and yeah. Can the two of you yeah. get together and teach this uh, in a seminary someplace? I could, I could ask real good questions and, and yeah, he could answer them. How's that? This is fascinating. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and you're so young to come to this conclusion. I want to keep this on yeah. a positive yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I want to keep this positive. But how is that coming across in America versus other places in the world? Um, What's wrong with American worship team? <laughs> okay, Mike Cut is, loose. Mike is Cut so loose. succinct. <laughs> I, um, I, I think we, the, the, the struggle, I'll call it the struggle, not necessarily to the negative. The struggle that we have today is we, the best man, tend to try to replace, replace the groom. So That's a good way to put it. So, in, so we're stepping in the space of the groom, and everyone focuses on us. So I'll always go back to, I, I, always, I initially had a, I think most artists will struggle with self-esteem because we want to perform and do the great things. Mm-hmm. Being a baritone first tenor, we, we I always, when I say we, I always say the church. I'll never break up and say, oh, the church. I'm part of it. Mm-hmm. Brokenness and everything. We went through a season where all our song leaders had to be first tenors singing ranges that everyone cannot sing. Mm. So we were just we were just holding our hands, watching, and listening, we were, and listening, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and never engaging. And yes, it's great for radio and album releases and live recordings, and getting a bunch of people to come to church. Yeah, right. The celebrity pastor and the celebrity worship leader. Yeah, but people never singing. And mm. and and I was like, God, you know, I, I love a high range voice. And God was like, No, you are here to serve and not to be served. Mm-hmm. So the performer is not... So I'll, this is my little confession. I will, I will struggle to perform in front of 5,000 people. But when it comes to congregational singing, I can do Founders Week every day and never, never feel uncomfortable. Founders Week is the big <laughs> annual Bible conference here at Moody. Moody. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, or wherever it is, no matter how big or small, I will feel more comfortable leading congregational singing than performing in front of 20 people. And, and it was just like, I was like, God, why, why is it? Why, why? He shaped your heart that way. That's what you were created to do. So, yeah. And it goes back to, so the ranges of the keys we sing in, I've, I've come to realize God placed me as a baritone second tenor so that the average Joe, I pick songs that I'm comfortable singing that I know the average person walks in on a Sunday morning who hasn't had vocal training, who hasn't warmed up his voice, walks in and says, I can sing that because that's a key that I can sing in a register that I, I'm in. He's looking at me when he says that. The, the average person who can't sing. <laughs> yeah, I noticed he wasn't making eye contact with me at that point. <laughs> Mike, does it encourage you to hear this young oh, man? To, to hear a young person that's asking the questions, is it's blowing my mind. You have no... You have no idea how encouraging it is because I feel like sometimes no one's no one's even asking the right questions anymore. Everyone's just sort of pushing ahead. I fight with being negative. Yeah. And when, before the before we began our conversation, I said, "TK, let's keep this. <laughs> Don't let me get negative <laughs> because we'll talk about that's too loud and the blah 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 blah." Ah, you're just getting old. <laughs> yeah, and and I really don't think that's what the conversation needs to be. I I I love your heart, and you know the the sheep need to be fed. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm going to help usher him in. And I I started writing music yeah. in with a pastor who would give me his sermon on Tuesday. And I'd write a chorus based on his sermon. So we oh, would wow. basically sing back to him the three points of the sermon, which that worked great too. So yeah, it's it's yeah, you're you're such an encouragement, brother. So yeah. <laughs> TK, where does it go from here? What do you what do you see ahead? We're going on the road together. Where, where's it going? <laughs> hey, can't I come along? <laughs> I can't sing. <laughs> well, and there you have it. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh that hard, TK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just a cough. Yeah. <laughs> I think my heart. Um, well, you're in grad school. Yes. Okay. Interculture, urban studies. The primary focus for that, the, the reason why I went down that road with a minor in leadership, is to address this con- conversation that I'm constantly having with uh, musical pastors and musical leaders as I travel across the world. The multicultural aspect, the multicultural conversation, multicultural worship. How does it look like? What are the methods? That can be applied to people who are serving in these in these congregations because a lot of people generally are 
you know, monocultured. I yep. come from my culture, and this is the way we do it. Yeah. But then, as this world is just colliding with different cultures, they walk into a space where certain cultures are very expressive, certain cultures are conservative. Mm-hmm. And you walk into a congregation that has both of that, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Because not, we, don't, we do what we do not to please everyone, but you try to serve as many as you can in that way. So you, you need to switch certain things or, or put them together in such a way that I serve um, Aunt May who doesn't like upbeat choruses, but I, I serve this 19-year-old who's only grown up on choruses with the band. How do we, how do we both serve those, those two groups of people? And it, it shouldn't be polarized. It shouldn't be hymns in one corner, choruses in one right. corner. We have our contemporary service. Yes. We have our up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We should. We we as the leaders should be able to teach our congregations to say it's not that. It's not about hymns and choruses. It's about all of us laying down our agenda of our preference. Yeah. And saying, God, when we leave this gathering, are you pleased? Mm. Are you well worshipped? Were you well worshipped? Yeah. Were yeah. you pleased with what we gave yeah. you, the offering? And if he says yes, job done. Well, we were supposed to do. But a lot of the things, it, it struck me because when I, um, back in back in Africa, before I came across, that was a question that God struck me. It's like, when have you ever asked me, are you pleased? Because we tend to leave our services, oh man, that was great. Did service. I like it? Yeah, that was a yeah. great worship service. Yeah. And God's like, when was it ever about you? Let's talk. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So answer me this. Um, so do you think? Because this is a new idea. In fact, I just thought of it. Um, do you think that are the are the are the sheep well fed in being led in worship, meaningful worship? Does that feed the sheep worshiping God well? I want to say yes, but I mean respond to that. What? I, I think they I think they do if it's done well. Okay. I, I think. The, what do you mean done well? I mean. I always go back to the the pastoral aspect. Mm-hmm. We need to shepherd like a shepherd would shepherd the church. That's we we're part of the pastoral team. We're not just hey go sing a song, right? So when we do it, we do it thinking of one what God is doing, but thinking to how do we edify the body? How do we challenge the church as well? We never talk about challenging the church, even with the songs that we sing. Sing songs that are about lament. Sing songs about sin and and repentance mm. and forgiveness. Mm. Sing the things that God wants us to live out. Sing our faith, and the style of music is not the conversation. The level of volume is not the conversation, but the content of God should be the conversation. So that God can turn around and say, that is about me, that is for me, that is to me. I am pleased. So when I am pleased... We ultimately are blessed by that as okay. the church. So I see it that way. And, you know, it's open to, you know, crit- critique and, and people come around and say, well, I'll think about this. Yeah, it's, it's part of the conversation. Yeah. 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 Well, if you joined us late <sighs> and you're who is that guy? Uh, Ayanda Kamalo is in the studio with us here with my card. And this has been just unrehearsed. And fabulous to me to, as a listener to sit here and, and hear the two of you talk about this. It really is. And I want our listeners to know that, uh, Mike, this is, this is our heart. This is what we want to bring to the program. Yeah. And, 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 and what I want to be instructed in more, too, is, as I go on, because this is something I'm, I've struggled with and struggle with the negativity and struggle with, you know, how do I worship the Lord well? That's the question. And I think you've, you've helped me a lot, TK. So thank yeah. you, brother. TK, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Though sometimes I grow weary when the road's getting long At each point of my weakness you make me strong And when doubt takes over I remember it's true I left everything to follow To stay safe or to follow You asked me to choose But how could I fail When I've got nothing left to lose Without your call I couldn't make it It'd be impossible to do To leave everything and follow you Everything to follow 
everything to follow, everything to follow you. To your sacrifice, I gave up my home, but you left paradise. And what you called me to offer has really set me free, cause you left everything to be with me. So with joy I embrace a faith that calls me from home. And I will cling to your promise that I am never alone. And with each catsing moment, I'll keep hoping it's true. I left everything to follow you. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Everything to follow. Everything to follow, everything to follow, everything to follow you. To follow you, a fitting song to wrap up this hour. And it's our prayer that this time together is used by God to enrich your walk with Christ. We hope you'll send us your story how this is happening for you. And also, pass along your reactions and questions about Michael's teaching. You can reach us several ways. Send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook when you search for Michael Card. Now, Michael's new book and CD titled Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness is coming out in December. Find out how to order a copy when you stop by michaelcard.com. Again, on the web at michaelcard.com. And then tell a friend about what you've discovered here in the studio. They can always subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Google Play. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Ashley Smith, Lance Mansfield, Jeff Jones, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening, and join us for another session next time here in the studio with Michael Card.